As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now the set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep left field. McCutcheon back. Way back. It is gone. Goodbye. Game tied on a home run by Victor Robles. Bang! Zoom goes the 21-year-old rookie, Victor Robles. The Nationals have come all the way back from a 6-1 deficit. It's the Nationals 6 and the Phillies 6. Hello again and welcome inside our NBC Sports Washington podcast studios. This is the Racing Presidents podcast in dayside form. Bob Trossett alongside my buddy Ryan Wormley. And Worm, we are ready to move on to Philadelphia. It's time to give our homestand a rest here. The Nats, not exactly what they wanted to do right here in D.C., but an opportunity to hit the road now, become road warriors, as they've shown they can do in in games this year and in recent years. So, as we push towards Philadelphia, any key things that you're looking for with this team? Well, I I mean, I could go down a laundry list of of 15 or 20 key things that they need to improve on or keep doing or, or whatever it may be. To me, it's value these division games. And the example I'll go back to is when they lost two out of three in Miami. Now, obviously, the Marlins aren't the same team as Philly, but if anything that speaks poorly of how they might do it at Philly because they've already struggled against a lesser team, in a division like the National League East in 2019, when you have four teams, I was about to say at least four teams, but only four teams that are contending since the Marlins have the worst record in baseball, these division games are paramount. When you're going up against a team that is in first place in their division, you have to value that matchup more than you do other games. It's it's every win counts the same, but not really. I mean, if if I could be, you know, sort of work around it like that. This these games are more important than other games and you have to play like it is. You know, one thing that we talked about on our post-game podcast here recently after the Max Scherzer start on Wednesday night was just this this bizarre sort of theme that's been going on here in the first month and change, right? He they are one in six when Scherzer starts. And, you know, Chovers and I kind of got into it the other night because we were chatting about whether or not it was his fault. He thought he 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 put a little bit more blame on Max, right? Because it was a three earned run night on Wednesday. For me, I went the case of, well, Shoves, I, I know that Scherzer's the ace and he's you know, it should have been, okay, let's say one earned run is an ex- expectation for the ace. But when you take a look at those seven starts, the run support has been absolutely nowhere. 
Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I definitely would lean more towards you, Bob, and, and uh, sorry to, to Shovers, but yes, three runs is not good for what we expect of Max Scherzer, but it's it's enough to win most games. It should be enough to win most games if you have a halfway decent offense, which, injuries aside, the Nationals have had this season. To me, this is completely a matter of, A, small sample size. I mean, he's made seven starts. The fact that he's one and six, I'm not going to be overly concerned about that. And B, as you mentioned, the run support, which has been abysmal. He's only given up more than three runs, earned runs at least, twice in in all of his outings this season. And if you keep a a team to three runs or fewer, you're generally going to win more of those games, especially because he's going late into these games. It's not like he's allowing three runs in four innings or five innings. I mean, he's given up them in in seven innings and six and two-thirds. And then the fastball spin rate is still elite. The strikeout rate is still elite. It's a step down from recent years. But he's still at an elite level with those two very key metrics. He's walking fewer batters than he has in the past. The big problem has been hard contact. But frankly, that's been a problem for every ace in baseball this season. I don't know if it's a juiced ball or just the launch angle revolution is coming to a head or what it is. But he is not the only ace struggling with giving up the long ball and hard hits. I don't expect it to last. He's too smart and too good of a pitcher for it to last. I am not concerned about Max at all. And, and I would definitely put more blame on the offense and the bullpen and and less on Max himself. Let's not forget, too, right, it still has been a notable season for Max. Obviously, just about a week removed from uh, eclipsing the 2,500 strikeout category, which only a few guys have done in Major League Baseball history. Hard to so, do. Yeah, certainly still. And congrats to CeCe, too, for, for knocking the uh, 3Ks. We're talking on the on, on the strikeouts, career strikeouts. CeCe gets the 3K mark, I'm sure. I'm sure at some point we'll be talking about if he continues to go down this route, right, for Scherzer, he's going to go well past that, wouldn't you say? I would imagine. Now, he did get a later start than CeCe did in his career. You know, Scherzer didn't really become an elite pitcher until much later in his 20s. Then you see, you know, a guy like Kershaw came in right away and was just a stud from his early 20s. So he doesn't have as much time to compile these counting stats, but, I mean, he's he's less than 500 away now from hitting 3,000. and. For Scherzer, that's two-plus years, so I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he hit it. All right, I hate to keep harping on this on the podcast, but I I feel like we need to because he went from being top prospect to now being called up to the Nats, getting all kinds of things done right out of the the gate, right? couple of dingers, everybody was going crazy about the potential of what he could do. I'm talking about Carter Keboom, comes up from Harrisburg. Worm, he's cooled off considerably, not only from the plate, but in the field as well. I asked Shoves this the other night. We talked about this. Dibus and I have talked about this on the podcast. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Is this growing pains? You, you've, you've had your scouting days, right? You know what it takes to go from one level to the next. It's not, it's, I know it's not easy. Is this growing pains? Are you seeing something that could be a larger issue here going forward? Wholeheartedly, I would say it's growing pains. I mean, okay. I think Nationals fans and Really, fans that across all of baseball have been spoiled by the Juan Sotos of the world in recent seasons who come in as a 19-year-old and already have a perfect command of the strike zone and are hitting for power and average and are doing a lot of things really well. Not every prospect is built like, like that, and that's frankly okay. Not every prospect should be built like that. Carter Keboom is 21 years old. This has not changed at all my evaluation of him as a top prospect. His future is still fine. What's interesting to me is the two points that we're concerned about, quote-unquote concerned about, are the strikeouts and the fielding, and that's been really emblematic of what's been sort of biting the gnats as a team. 
They have the fifth highest strikeout rate as a team in all of baseball. They have the fourth worst fielding by some advanced metrics in all of baseball. This is a team that has struggled in these areas already, and Kibum is, is adding to that certainly, but he's not the only culprit. When I look at his fielding especially, the Nationals have Trey Turner when, when he's healthy. Carter Kibum doesn't need to be a gold glove shortstop because the Nationals already have a capable defender at short. If he moves over to second, I think some, if not all, of these defensive problems maybe not completely go away, but at the very least are significantly mitigated. And he's hitting the ball really hard still as well. His hard co- hit contact rate and his exit velocity aren't just good. They're actually elite levels. They're in the top 30 of baseball. And again, super small sample size. He's played six or seven games. But these are numbers that are encouraging to me, not discouraging. And and I'm not going to beat a kid up for striking out a little bit as a 21-year-old in his first week in the majors. Sure. And remember, too, right, uh, the Trey Turner timeline is still fluid. We're in that three- to four-week range. So, as of right now, Kibun will continue to get his reps. Let's see if he can bounce out of this funk, especially as they hit the road for Philadelphia. Go ahead. And, and one of the real problems isn't that he's struggling. It's that he's struggling when they're missing Anthony Rendon and Trey Turner. If this was a situation where maybe they had one injury or – they thought he was ready and they wanted to pull him up and he was just a little bit you know, behind the eight ball. He's not quite there yet. That's fine. The problem is, and the reason why this is all seeming like such a pronounced slump, I'll say, is because they don't have Rendon and they don't have Turner. And, and right now, they aren't just hoping he plays well. They're relying on it. And if he's not ready yet, that's not the end of the world. But it hurts a team that's trying to be competitive when they're dealing with Rendon, Turner, and, and for a game or two, Soto being out. Worm, as much as we've talked positive here in the recent days about the bullpen, I think uh, it goes without saying Joe Ross not necessarily uh, carrying his weight for the Nats right now. The ERA is skyrocketed just a bit over six here. What have you seen? Not the best homestand. If you're Davey, can you rely on a guy like this in the eighth or anywhere else when they go to Philadelphia and moving forward after that? Well, Maybe you can, maybe you can't if you're Davey Martinez, but the frank answer is he doesn't have a choice. Uh, the bullpen, it, you know, if there were a ton of really successful relievers that the Nationals were throwing out in high leverage situations that were all really succeeding, then sure, if Joe Ross isn't quite there yet, fine, let's not throw him out there. But the Nationals don't have that. That was supposed to be Trevor Rosenthal. He hasn't been that. It looked like maybe it might be Wander Suero early in the season. It doesn't appear that that's the case now. You have Sean Doolittle, who's been terrific. And then Bearclaw, who's been pretty good overall, maybe not his elite levels, and then a whole lot of nothing. So you need to get creative with your solutions to the bullpen. And Joe Ross, as a former starter, is a creative option to that to that problem. And I think his stuff, this is anecdotal and, and just the eye test, but it looks like it plays up much better in the bullpen. He seems like he fits in there. If he's not totally comfortable yet, I mean, he's thrown, what, 23 innings in the last two seasons? Right. I'm certainly willing to let him continue to shake off that rust and adjust to a new role because I think the upside there is pretty great and and probably better than you're going to find anywhere else outside of signing Craig Kimbrell, which even at this point is he wouldn't be contributing for, what, six weeks, eight weeks sure. by the time he gets up to speed. So so to me, Ross is a clear solution to the bullpen, even through the struggles. I would I would let him work through it in the bullpen because, again, you don't have a better option. I'm sure we sound like a broken record in some ways in terms of the sample size because we keep talking about this. I mean, when you do a podcast every day, it's kind of hard to not sound like that because we're trying to analyze these things with very few reps, right, and a very small sample size. But I do want to ask you about Dan Jennings because – 
he's someone who has come up here in the last few days for the Nationals and, and provided a little bit of a spark for Davey. Do you see him? And I, I hate to put you on the spot, so don't don't you know? You can yell at me if you'd like. Do you see it? Do you see Dan Jennings as a possibility for the eighth if he can stay on this roster long term for Davey? I will say yes as a possibility. I don't think it's likely. Again, as I just said with Ross, you need to find creative solutions to the bullpen problem, and maybe Jennings is one of those guys, but. I personally have always been a really big Bearclaw fan. Again, I know he hasn't been his, his typical dominant self so far this season. I looked at him as a future closer when he was with the Marlins, and and I think he has the stuff to to work well in that late inning role. With Jennings, I'm not sure I see the same level of, of pure stuff, and that's generally what you see from those setup guys. But if he's pitching well, I, I, mean, I mean, again, you just touch on the small sample size. Every reliever's season is kind of a small sample size. I mean, True. they pitch 50 innings. They pitch 65 innings. So anybody can be pretty good in 50 innings. Well, not anybody. I certainly couldn't. But any major league pitcher can be good sure. for 50 innings. And if it's almost like a ride-the-hot-hand situation. If he's pitching well and you have momentum there and other guys aren't working out, I have no problem with it. But I, it's not something that I'm counting on going all right, Warren, before we sign off here today, we do want to show you a role for you, our exclusive interview with NBC Sports Philadelphia's Michael Barkan. He's a really interesting guy. He's been there for quite some time, knows the Philadelphia market really well. Obviously, tonight caps off uh, the series in Philadelphia for the Nats, so we thought that, hey, you know what? This was timely. Uh, we do appreciate Michael's time, so without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Michael Barkan. Bryce Harper. And there is your reaction. All right, Michael. So thanks again for joining us here on the Racing Presidents podcast. And, you know, ahead of this series with Philadelphia, obviously there's a couple different storylines, but the teams in some ways are trending in different directions, right? What is the thought right now through a month and change into the season surrounding the Philadelphia Phillies, just generally speaking? Generally speaking, Bob, and thanks for having me on, Bob and Ryan, this team is far from hitting its stride yet. And I said last night on NBC Sports Philadelphia, I was talking to Ricky Vitalico, who's the former Phillies closer. Um, I said, you know, we're giving a critique and we're criticizing a first-place team. So as long as we're all, we, we're all understanding of that, they're two up on the Mets, they're two up on the Braves, they're four and a half up on the struggling Nationals, and um, they may hit a wall, certainly, and, and they have had three or four two-game losing streaks, but they've been able to hold it together. And um, so I, w- I would describe them at 17 and 13 as a team that has yet to hit their stride. Michael, obviously we'll get to the much larger free agent signing from this past season in Bryce Harper a little bit later, but I do want to ask you about Jake Arrieta, the signing from the year before. His ERA is a little improved over last season, but it's a career-low strikeout rate right now and by far a career-high hard hit rate. Are you seeing any signs at all of a return, at least somewhat close to his Cy Young form that he had with the Cubs? I think I am, Ryan, uh, but I'm not going to guarantee that because of last year. You may recall last year he started out at 3-0, and and then he finished the rest of the season at 7-11. and uh, He was 3-0 and with an ERA in the ones, and, and we thought, man, we are getting the Cy Young Jake Arrieta and as the season progressed, he just he just could not keep up with the demand, and um, ended up what seven and eleven over his last eighteen 
decisions and, and 10 and 11 overall. And I think this year we are seeing him with much more command. We are seeing him uh, with uh, – he's got a lot more double play balls. He looks like the guy who was the Cy Young Award winner. And what's more, Gabe Kapler, a lot of people look sideways at Gabe Kapler when he said this, but he's like, look, if he pitches like that, the guy's got a Cy Young. If he does, well, we'll see what happens. And I would agree. But there's a long way from, from now until then. Mike, uh, it finally happened, right? The booze finally came for your guy, your new guy, Bryce Harper, after an 0-for-4 night with two strikeouts the other night. He, he was quoted for saying this post game: I would do the same thing. It's not fun to lose. It's not fun to watch. I'm probably thinking the same thing walking back to the dugout. So we ask you, Michael, you've been there. You're watching this uh, unfold for, for Bryce. Is the honeymoon over? Is this somewhat of a... I don't know, a test for, for Phillies fans. What are you seeing right now from Bryce in this slump? I think the honeymoon is not yet over. I'd like to say that it's far from over, but you know Philadelphia fans. I think the reason it's not over and the reason he is overlooking all this, one, because he's Bryce Harper, and you're getting a, an icon even seven seasons into to his major league career. He's still he's, He is one of the faces of the game. So there's that. And two, they're winning. And they're winning, I wouldn't, only say despite him, I would also say they're winning because of him because opposing pitchers still got to watch this guy. He is Bryce Harper. He can do, again, what he did once and will hopefully do. Look, he started out like a house of fire, and, uh, and, but it's still a young season. We're 30 games in. We're not even at the, at the quarter pole of this season. So he started out like a house of fire, and all of a sudden, I think April 3rd was the last time he was batting over 300. He was batting 302. And since then, he's batting 197, um, and, and it's a real struggle right now. I, I think he's, his hands aren't comfortable in the box. He pulls off the ball. Uh, I, I just think he's, he's got to get it together in a way that only, only he knows how to do. Uh, certainly John Maley, their hitting coach, I'm sure is working with him. But because he is Bryce Harper and has that respect, who's benefiting? Reese Hoskins. And Reese Hoskins is the cleanup man. For the Philadelphia Phillies, he's now batting 278. He's got nine home runs uh, on the season, which, which uh, is the team leader. And he's got 25 runs batted in, which ties the team lead. And so w- when you've got Harper commanding that respect, Hoskins backing him up right there, then you've got Real Muto, and that guy can hit. He's batting 288. Not only is he batting 288, but he'll give you a clutch hit. Um, and and um, so on down the line. Michael Franco, for goodness sakes, the third baseman, who was the subject of heavy trade rumors in the offseason, he's batting 262 in the eighth spot. So, uh, but, but back to, to Harper, I think he'll figure it out. Yes, he heard booze. He's handling it the, perfectly in Philadelphia. You don't, you don't say boo about the booze in Philly. You just let them roll off your back, and you realize that the fans, just they want a, a hard day's work, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, and he's trying – there's a 330 number somewhere around that we all know what that is, and they want they want to see their guy produce. But he's got some time. Michael, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because Worm and I are both not from the Philly area, so we're curious about your perspective. You said you don't say boo to the boos. Well, what goes into a boo in Philadelphia, right? Is this something that, as a fan base, they feel so strongly because of this reputation that surrounds Philadelphia that this needs to be passed down from generation to generation no matter – if the player or the team deserves it, or is this more of like a, no, 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 
we're actually looking at his numbers. We're not happy right now. He deserve, you know, he needs to be doing more because of this contract. What goes into a boo? I think it's a great question. And I th- and by the way, we're, it, it's funny. You know, you get the whole Santa Claus thing, which it just drives me nuts when anyone brings that up because it happened in 1960, for goodness sakes. And and, and but people still they boo Santa Claus. Meanwhile, there are beer bottles and and, uh, and every manner of object thrown on fields of play throughout America, if not the world. But Philadelphia, oh, there they go in Philly again. Happens in Cleveland, happens in uh, D.C., I'm sure. It has from time to time. I hope it doesn't ha- happen anywhere prevalently, but fans sometimes give you an earful. With regard to Philadelphia, I think two things. One, we wear it like a badge of honor. Two, there's two different ki- kinds of boo. One is... There's a collective standard applied by the fandom to any player, um, and it might be different for Bryce Harper than it is for Aaron Altair, who's a pinch hitter. He's going to get a boo for a different reason than Bryce Harper's going to get a boo. So Bryce Harper is going to get a boo if he starts contributing to losses, if he's actively contributing to losses, and they look at this five-time All-Star, former MVP, Rookie of the Year, being paid $330 million on a, what, 12-year deal? If, if they if they look at him and they're, he's just not doing it and he, he's costing their team, then they will boo. There will be a time when they will boo. And the same would go for Aaron Nola, their ace of the staff. The same would go for Reese Hoskins. But there's also times when they will boo sarcastically or almost as a joke. And that's what bothers me that the fans or sports observers around the country, they don't understand when those times are. Bryce Harper could have been booed on his first day like striking out at his first at bat, the fans would have booed, and it obviously would have been a joke. But observers from outside of Philadelphia would say, look at it, they booed Bryce Harper's first day. And it would have been like, you know, it would have been kind of a sarcastic, yeah, yeah, you can't even get it right on his first at bat. But it's not that they're not fans of his or fans of the Phillies. They're, they're just kind of messing around like, like, uh, like you would hanging out with guys in a bar. Hey, this guy stinks. You know, you're talking about Willie Mays. Yeah, sure he stinks, uh, um, but but that's so. So there's a there's two kinds of booze. I don't know if I explained that well, but that's that's how it works in Philadelphia. Certainly are known for their let's call it passion. Um, and obviously, when expectations are as high as they were coming into 2019, it's a little easier to rationalize being frustrated and expressing that through booze. From everything I've read and seen, it, it feels like. I don't want to use the word pander, but that Bryce Harper is really trying to show Phillies fans that he cares. He's obviously there for the long haul, 13 years, that he really is trying to embrace the city. Do you think that his, for lack of a better word, pandering is something that will maybe shield him from some of the criticism going forward into the future? Absolutely. I think he's, I've never seen anything like it, Ryan. I, re- I really haven't. He he is playing all of us like a symphony. He, he's, it's amazing. <laughs> says the right things from, you know, uh, yeah, I would have booed me too, or, or I understand it, to wearing uh, his cleats on, on opening day. With, with the, they, they were the, a replica of what the Philly fanatic wears. He just, you know, wears Sixers T-shirts as they go through their playoff run, what everybody hopes will be a deep playoff run for them. They're playing tonight. Uh, so, so, you know, he, he's in tune with that. But, look, uh, whether he's pandering or whether he's full of it, uh, you know, I, I would not think he's lying on his wife and, and um, soon-to-be-born child because he, he talks about them uh, as being from Philadelphia and that he wants to say of his 
son or daughter that, that, you know, my child is from Philadelphia and grew up in Philadelphia and watched me play here. And, and I think when you go to that degree, I'm thinking there's something deep down inside you that says, I, I, I like it here. I wanted to be here. And let's face it, the money has everything to do with it also, or has 99.9% to do with it. But I also believe that he's, he's the type of guy who, and I didn't know him down there. I mean, you, you know him better than I do. I didn't know him down there. I, I, every time I saw him on, for example, on ESPN during an all-star game, he'd have a wireless microphone on, he'd be out there in the outfield. And, you know, he was kind of clipped in his speech. I didn't think he was a jerk by any means, but he seemed pretty reserved. Maybe that was youth, but... I sat down with him for about 45 minutes in spring training, and, and um, I, find, I found him to be delightful. I mean, I really, I really <laughs> did. He, he, he had a great sense of humor. I was cracking him up. We were messing around, and I'm like, this is the Bryce Harper that, I, that we're getting, this guy? Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure he'll stiff-arm the media, and, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be times when he won't want to talk or we might misconstrue what he says, or maybe he will be a jerk. I mean, baseball's a sport that when you play 162-plus playoffs, if you're lucky enough to get there, that, what's the, what's the saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. You see the same faces every single day, the same writers, the same journalists, the same broadcast broadcasters, and they're asking you every day why you did not do something. After a while, it can grate on you. I think he's playing everybody right, media and fans right now. I think it's safe to say, too, there's going to be a lot more of the story to write here, right? We're only a month and change into things here, so yes. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again. Michael, when you and the rest of Philadelphia look down at the early going here in the NL East division, how do you see the Nationals and how do you see the rest of the division right now as it is in terms of, obviously you guys are up top at the current moment of this taping, but how do you look down at the rest of the way? I look down at the rest of the way that, that it's, it's still anybody's division except for the Marlins. Uh, I, I still think, you know, I, I, would, I would liken perhaps the Washington Nationals a little bit to the Boston Celtics and everyone said, everyone said where the heck are the Celtics? Oh my goodness. Brad Stevens coaching them. They got they got all this talent. Gordon Hayward's back, and they're they're, they're terrible. I mean, they're, they're terrible. Look at this. They're not playing well. They might not even make the playoffs. Blah blah blah. And look where they are. They might be. Uh, they're giving Milwaukee a run for their money. Maybe they'll even beat Milwaukee. And I don't think anyone thought that on its face. And I'm thinking, you're still the Washington Nationals for goodness sakes. You still have the pitching. Sure, you lost Bryce Harper. I understand that. But but you still have Max Scherzer. You still still have Steven Strasburg. And you've got so many contributors on this team. You still have have the the depth. You've got Bearclaw. Um, I'll tell you what. I, I think that the the Nationals could come back, whether it's in May or June or September, and and uh, give everybody a run for their money. Absolutely, I do. So uh, I, and I would I would the Mets are. The Mets are like a, a thorn in everybody's side. You think they're going to go away. You think something's going to happen, so they'll do something stupid. But but uh, they got Cano, and they got that pitching staff. I like them. And, and the Braves are the defending champs. So I, I see no reason that they can't replicate what they did after a time. And I don't know when the next time Washington is playing Atlanta or New York, but, but I, I think I mentioned, I don't think I mentioned on the air, I think I mentioned before we went on, after this Phillies National Series coming up, the, the Phillies don't play NL East competition until the middle of next month, June 14th, when they host Atlanta. So, so you know, you got to take it. And then, and then Washington for four games, by the way, guys, June 17th through 20th and, and during the week. Um, 
So they're going to have to take advantage uh, of, of things right now, whether it's Washington to close that gap or the Phillies to extend it, because they're not going to be able to play directly and affect the outcome of the standings in, until the middle of June. So I think it's going to be interesting. But there's no reason to me why, why any of these teams can't get hot. But let me ask you your thoughts on Washington in particular. Well, from our perspective, honestly, one of the big talking points, you mentioned Kyle Bearclaw has been a you know pretty effective reliever for the Nationals, but the bullpen in general has been a real struggle, and the starting pitchers have generally been okay. Maybe Scherzer and Strasburg haven't been up to their usual standards, but they certainly haven't been terrible, and the lineup has obviously dealt with a lot of injuries. In my perspective, I think that they are still set up to play well once they get healthy. It's just a matter of getting healthy. I am curious for your view on the Phillies' bullpen. Obviously, like I said, the Nats' bullpen has been a a pretty big talking point here in D.C. Gabe Kapler certainly has a reputation as a bit of a mad hatter when it comes to the bullpen. He's not going to confine himself to traditional roles for his relievers. Do you see the way he's managed his relievers as as pretty effective? And how has that group been overall this season? I think he has managed his relievers pretty effectively. Sometimes you, you wonder, he, he gets a little caught up in the right-left thing, and he's got, got to have this guy for this batter and this guy for that batter. And, you know, um, selfishly, if you're waiting to do a post-game program until midnight, guys, it's not <laughs> a lot of fun. But uh, um, be that as it may, I, I think that he has managed the pen fairly effectively. The, the, the issue is, like, Hector Neris pitched last night a third of an inning. He was absolutely perfect. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is a young reliever. Um, he gave up an third run. Pat Neshek, who's a reliever, former all-star, who's back with the Phillies, gave up a run. And a Dubai Ramos last night, was he pitched great, one inning uh, as, as a closer. They don't have a closer. And, and um, you know, everybody wonders what they're going to do down the line. Tommy Hunter, who, who uh, can be a closer, is, is on the injured list. And he might not be back for for a month or so more. He will be back, I'm told. But but they, so so he's trying to still have a closer by committee, and he's still trying to put the other relievers in places that he win. The problem is the the starters have had their issues going distance. And last night, Aaron Nola, who who claims who we claim to be, he doesn't claim anything. We claim to be their ace after finishing third in the Cy Young balloting last year. Aaron Nola has had issues at the start of the season, and his first three outings were, were not good. An ERA of over 10, he has now lowered his ERA significantly. He's now at 5.06, and in his last three starts, his ERA has been 2.82. So that's more along the lines of a guy who, who, who's a Cy Young runner-up. But five and two-thirds for him last night, so that's, that's a little taxing. He would have had a quality start if he had gone um, one-third more, obviously. But but he he let up one hit that a lot that was his that was the lone run given up. Phillies were up one nothing at the time. He lets in a run, and so Kapler's got to go to to the bullpen earlier than he would have liked, as Noah had pitched 102 pitches. So there, there's this balance with every team, certainly, but certainly with the with the Phillies, where he needs Kapler needs his starters to give him some time, and and when they don't, you know, you see the ripple effect for for days sometimes. As, as the relievers can't hold down the fort. But I think they're going to work it out. I really do, because they're, they're star- they have some young starters in Zach Eflin and, and Jared Eikhoff. And Eikhoff is, go- Eikhoff is going to go tomorrow. 
against Jeremy Hellickson, and Eikhoff is a real solid young pitcher. And then Arietta goes against Corbin, and then this kid Eflin, Zach Eflin, goes against Anibal Sanchez on Sunday. And, and um, it's the young guys, like you know what you're going to get, you hope, from Arietta, but it's these young guys that you're hoping step into the spotlight and can handle their business. And, and uh, I think they're getting to the point where the answer, yes, they can. So, Mike, a lot of good, good stuff, stuff there. We could, we could talk about this for all day long because these two teams. I'm here, Bob. I'm here. <laughs> we love it. We love you talking baseball. We do appreciate your time as well. And, hey, if these two teams continue to uh, tussle and, and make a lot of good storylines, we're going to have to do this again. So we do appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. Looking forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, guys. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. I love his experience, his uh, enthusiasm for Philly. The boos. That boo answer was phenomenal. I had no clue what goes into a Philadelphia boo. I, I could have talked to him for <laughs> four hours just about the mentality that goes into booing. Yeah, the art of the Philadelphia I would not boo. have gotten tired of it at all. That's He should write a book. I, I, honestly, I was really, really uh, intrigued by that. I had never heard an answer like that. So <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting, certainly interesting for Michael, and we do appreciate his time. Before we wrap up here today, a couple, couple plugs here. The Capitals Talk Boys here at NBC Sports Washington, Rob Carlin, and the guys. Recent really good conversations with TJ Oshie and Evgeny Kuznetsov before they take off for the offseason. Obviously did not end the way the Caps wanted, but the Capitals Talk podcast continuing its dominance here in the offseason. And then we do want to shout out uh, those of you who have taken the time to write a review, uh, we really do appreciate that. The best Nats podcast easily from Coach Terry, 45432. How about That's that? huge. Coach Terry, we appreciate it. He says, this is far and away the best Nats podcast. It has set the bar so much higher in a lot of ways. It's informative and funny, and I cannot believe. Coach Terry, the only thing that I don't really agree with you with is that Chase makes you laugh? Come on, man. How could that be? Like, <laughs> we're hard on Chase here, but we do. We, we like his dry humor, whether it's you know good or not. Uh, E.T. Johnson. This is a great podcast with good info and insight on the Nats. Love following my favorite team from overseas. Well, we do appreciate you, E.T. Johnson. Thanks for for tuning in. And and again, Worm. You know, it's it's been uh, certainly a. Uh, it's been fun these, this last month and change. We got a lot of different contrib- contributors on this podcast, and you know, hopefully, as the Nats continue to sort of uh, find their identity this season, it'll only become more and more popular. And we have some we have some things up our sleeve for the summer that we're looking forward to. But really, we need our listeners to be as involved as ever. We're talking about on social media, writing a review, uh, you know, giving us a rating. Uh, letting us know on social media how we're doing, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Um, you know, we've tried to downgrade the Bryce Harper talk a little bit for you, but more than anything, we want to hear from you guys. Anything on that, Worm? Uh, y- yes, we've tried to downgrade the Bryce Harper talk, <laughs> but maybe not when we're talking with a Philly guy. Yeah, uh, right. As Barkan was a great guest who obviously had a lot to say about Harper. Um, no, just keep listening and in 
letting us know what we can do better. And the season is only a month old. There is five months left to go. So regardless of how the Nats record, uh, you know, turns out, we've got a lot planned for you. So stick with us. Yeah, definitely. And it's at NBCS Nationals on Twitter for everything. So for my buddy Ryan Wormley, I'm Bob Trossett signing off from another edition of the Racing Presidents podcast. Get ready for a weekend series in Philadelphia. We'll see you next time. Now the pitch. Swing and a drive by Keeble. Deep down the left field line. Toward the corner. This ball is gone. Goodbye. This game is tied. Carter Keeble has done it again. Some people just know there's a better way to do things. Like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.